The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church. Uh, my name is Ross Warbaugh. I am the youth and children's director here. Um, so if you are new with us, uh, I'm not up here every single week. Uh, typically, I'm off with the kids. And so if you're looking for Justin, who is our teaching pastor, don't worry, he'll be back with us next week. Um, also, if you are new with us, uh, generally, uh, we have this thing called a fifth Sunday family service. So that's why you see a lot of kids in here today is because on every fifth Sunday throughout the year, we want to give our leaders the week off to celebrate them, to give them some breakfast and coffee, and just allow them some time to rest and to worship with the rest of us. So that's why there's a lot of kids with us here today. Um, we love our kids, and we want to connect our kids to Christ and connect them to the local church. So that's also why we have these fifth Sundays. We want them to be a part of uh, our body of Christ. And... Because of that, uh, we keep them in service from time to time, and we know that kids will be kids. So if your kids are bored, restless, make some noise, don't worry, we get it, kids will be kids, don't feel bad. Uh, there's a reason that we have them here, because we want them to know that they are a part of the body at large, and we don't want to always put them somewhere else. So don't worry, we appreciate everyone's understanding uh, with the kids in the crowd today. So today we are going to be going through 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. So we're going to read them together. So if you have a physical Bible, there's some on the floors possibly, or if you just have your phone Bible, you can turn with me there. So, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. So these verses, First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, are foundational things. Paul wants to bring Timothy, and by extension us, back and reorient us on the core truths of what it means to be a good servant of Christ. This is a coach getting a team or a player back to basics to break them out of a slump. This, for us, is a recentering on truth. We need to return to these things because it reminds us of who we are in Christ and what our core responsibilities are as a believer. So Paul gives us a pretty easy example of how we are to train and pursue what it means to be a good servant of Christ. Uh, now, some of you guys might have a little heading in your Bible that says, that reads something before the verses start that says, being a good servant of Christ. Or it may say instead, uh, a good minister of Christ. Does this mean that these verses are written only to ministers? 
Um, of course not. Yes, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a minister, but these verses, what they really show is discipleship. Um, Paul teaches Timothy, Timothy teaches others, and others teach others, and so on and so forth. That's discipleship. And it's something that we're all called to do. This is explicitly shown later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are called to this. Every single one of us is called to this. To learn the word for good works. But this is also a great reminder that all people are routinely called to come back to the foundational things of the faith and to consistently train. Take seminary, for example. You may think that attending seminary is going super duper deep into the intricacies of God, theology, psychology, sociology, and really anything that is affected by how we read the Bible and our relationship with God. And while that is true, that doesn't happen until after certain things are done. If you want to know what most seminary students do their first year of seminary, it's on the foundational things. It's how to study the Bible, it's Bible history, it's going through foundational theology. The deep study, the dry, like 700-page books, that's are literally over only one book of the Bible, those do come, but where all seminary students start, where every single minister, pastor that you've ever listened to or ever will listen to started is at the beginning to grow in the foundations of your faith. That is something that we are called to come back to time and time again, is that foundation. Or even more simply put, imagine you're a child or a new believer. Um, where do you start reading the Bible? Do you start in Hebrews? Do you start in Isaiah? No. Where you start is either in Genesis or the Gospels. You start at the beginning on the foundational things, with Jesus or the beginning. You don't start in the middle of Isaiah in some poetry passage. You start with something you can understand. It's how to follow Christ well in the most simplest of terms. Our faith is, if we get this out of order, our faith is not put on a firm foundation. Uh, as we look at First Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. If our foundation is not built on Christ, not built on correct theology, not built on the word of God, then we will stumble, we will stray, and we will not follow Christ well. So as we get into our verses today, we're going to start in verse 6. Uh, that reads, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. To be a good servant of Christ, you will have to do that by sound teaching and living an exemplary life yourself. This is a call to training. 
Um, you never outgrow these foundational things. God is the driving force, though. This is not something that you do on your own. Let me be clear about that before I go into the rest of the sermon. All this is done by the Holy Spirit in us. He is the one that creates the lasting change. The Holy Spirit is active, and we need to respond to that. Thankfully for us, the Holy Spirit empowers us in this to respond to his proddings. So, there are a couple of things in this verse that really drive home what we're talking about today. To be a good follower of Christ, you must be trained in the words of faith and in good doctrine. These are your first steps in your walk after you've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. But these are also the steps of someone who has been walking in, the, uh, walking in faith for years and years and years. It's something that on both ends of the spectrum we are consistently called to. Now, you might be asking yourself, can't a bad follower also be trained in these things? Yes, they can. And while we here on earth can never fully know someone's heart, there are verses that point out two important things for what we can look for. So in verse 6, it says, we put these things before the brothers, meaning discipleship and evangelism and basically speaking the truth about who God is and his gospel to others. You are sharing the truth. That is one sign. And then the other is in verse 10, where it says, uh, yeah, for it says, for to this end we toil and strive, meaning our faith should be put into action. True faith is heart deep and leads to action. So training doesn't stop as you grow. Typically, the best people are always training. You never outgrow training. In fact, you only value it more as you grow. You can't be passive. It's an active training. Seminary is great, or being at the point in your faith where you can read revelations confidently is really great. But even pastors and mature believers, who are human after all, will without the continuing pursuit of growth, of continually returning to the foundational things, be easily led astray and unwittingly branch off from what our faith is calling us to do and believe. This is why our staff here at Sono Bible Church has a staff value of continually hungry. We are committing ourselves to always being in training, to know that we can be, not be lax in our pursuit of God. And we aren't perfect at it. That, that's why we made it a staff value. It's to remind ourselves to always be in pursuit of Christ, to continue in our training, and to always come back to these foundational things. So, uh, let's look at another example. This is Victor Wimbignana. Some of y'all might know him as the new future hope of the San Antonio Spurs. He is seven foot four, if you can imagine him standing here. He's, he's, he's way up here. I probably can't even reach as high as his head, but he is seven foot four, and he's probably in the top 1% of athleticism in the world. Um, and for that, he was drafted number one overall by the Spurs. He's expected to be a star. He has huge expectations to be the best player in the world, to lead us to more championships. But if Victor Ribignana, with all of his gifts, rests on them only, doesn't train, doesn't stay in shape, doesn't study the playbook, he will never be that star. And while most of us don't have those natural athletic gifts like Victor, we are called to something that has far greater impact. It's our faith. So how do we begin this training in this way? It's simple. Spend time 
on the things of God. Just spend time on the things of God. Read the Bible, pray, gather in community groups, discuss coffee with a friend, uh, discuss faith with a friend over coffee, and sing worship songs with your kids in the car. There are many things you can do, but the best way to train is to put God right where he should be, in the center of your life, in the middle of everything that you do. And there's an easy way to check if he is. Look at your calendar and look at your bank account. Where do you spend your time and where do you spend your treasure? That will show you where God is in your life. The last thing that this verse says, uh, verse, going back to verse 6, is for those who want to be good followers is to put these things before others. This is a very mild approach uh, because there's other places in scripture that call us to make more dramatic pronouncements of the truth to others. In this instance, though, we are called to do so in a gentler approach. Still truth, but gentler. Faith can often be confusing to people. It is so intertwined with emotions, history, and the way that we see the world. It's easy to look at our world today and to see how the truth is distorted. And it's not just distorted for those who don't believe, but sometimes more distressingly for those that do. Which leads us into verse 7 that says, has nothing to do with a reverent, silly myth. Rather, train yourself for godliness. There is a lot of misinformation out in the world right now. And because of where we are at in history, we have the easiest access to this misinformation than any time in history. And it's often given in really compelling manners. It's very easy to be misled. But make no mistake, people have been misled from the truth since Adam and Eve, not just today. It's been going on through all of history. People have been misled from the truth. And that is why it is so important that we train ourselves to know the truth of the Bible and good theology. One really practical example uh, is when they train people to, to uh, look at the spot counterfeit bills, they don't train them by having them look at the different hundreds of different counterfeit bills that are out there. That could be very overwhelming. Instead, what they do is they study this current currency so much that anything different or off becomes abundantly clear because they know the real thing. So to simply apply that to our situation, we should know God, know the Bible, and what God stands for so well that it is easy for us to spot a silly myth. Don't study the wrong things to know that they are wrong. Study the right things first, and then you will know what is wrong. We can see this also in a pretty easy way, how we're easily misled, uh, by the story of Rudy. So Rudy up there, he's number 45, he's lifting his hands in the air. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Rudy is a 1993 football movie that is based on the true story of a man named Rudy who was small, unathletic, wasn't able to read very well, but he wanted to play college football. And see, this is a movie that people who don't even like sports can enjoy, because it's your classic underdog story that a lot of us can relate to. It stars Sean Astin, who's number 45 up there, who you might know from The Goonies, or more importantly to me, from the Lord of the Rings movies. (laughs) And to this day, this movie is one of the most beloved sports movies of all time. Rudy's dream was to play football for the University of Notre Dame, which everyone told him was impossible. Long story short, he ends up making the team, 
but the coach refuses to play him. He doesn't want to let him play in the game. But then three things happen. His teammates all band together uh, and demand that Rudy is able to play by all taking their jerseys and placing them one by one onto their head coach's desk. Uh, then uh, his, the crowd starts chanting Rudy's name over and over again. And then when, after he's been put into play and the game is over, his teammates carry him off the field, like in that photo, uh, in celebration. In reality, though, the coach had always planned on playing Rudy. The crowd never started chanting his name. And while the football players did carry him off, it was the team jokesters. It was like three guys. It wasn't the entire team. And it wasn't because they were super inspired. They just thought it would be funny to carry him off. But that's a, that's a pretty big difference from when the movie sells it as this huge emotional moment. So as we see in this rather harmless piece of myth-making, how things are presented and seen can very easily become what people believe. To bring this a little closer to home, there are many myths that are prevalent in our circles of faith today. For instance, uh, following God will make your life easy. You'll have tons of wealth and success. That's called the prosperity gospel. Or God doesn't care what you do with your life as long as you believe in him. Sin as much as you want. As long as you ask forgiveness at the end, you're good to go. Or another one is if bad things happen to you, it is only because of sin. And if you just didn't sin, nothing bad would ever happen to you. These are all myths that are a part of our Christian life today. And then there's a lot more. Um, but they, each of them can speak to a desire or insecurity that is in our lives that we all long for. We all long for, you know, the goodness and the wealth and feeling secure. And so, it can, so this, these myths speak to us really easily because it sounds so good. So it's really easy to get off track. So how do we not get caught up in silly myths and stories? We spend time on the things of God and you spend time on the foundations of your faith. The first thing you do when you have a doubt you don't go to resources and people that you don't trust or don't know well. You go to people and resources that you do trust. And we, as believers, should go to the most trusted source of all, which is the Bible and God. When your footing is uncertain or you're, if you're on solid ground, shoring up your foundations consistently with good theology and truth in, of the Bible is how you maintain your faith and good standing as a servant of Christ. Training for godliness is paramount in how we should live this life. Something I would humbly ask is that for you guys to do this each time you hear us here at Stone Oak Bible Church or any other church you may attend, you hear somebody preach. We want you guys to do this. Our jobs as ministers are to prepare the saints for ministry and to share the truth with you. But I would ask you guys that you know your Bible and know your God so that when you hear us preach or anyone else, you can know that we or they are preaching from the word of God and not from ourselves. This is something that you guys are called to do, to hold us accountable to making sure that we are preaching that truth to you. So as we move on to verses 8 and 9, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
So we're going to return to the idea of the overwhelming athlete, Victor Wimbignana, the seven foot four man that can run faster than people half of his size. Training makes you a legitimate athlete, not the athleticism by itself. There are tons of examples of peak athletes who don't always make it to where they should, who don't always succeed because of one thing or another, but typically it's because of training. Victor Wimbignana won't win five championships like Spurs great Tim Duncan if he never trains. In fact, he won't even get close. But along with that, training is about more than just success. It can often lead to success, but more than that, it's about doing the best with what you've been given. There is no making it in faith. There isn't a certain point where you are finished with training. There isn't a level, like maybe with a job or, you know, I got married. I did it. That's, my, that's where I wanted to get in life. I have a family, that sort of thing. There, there isn't that in faith. You don't get to a certain point. You are always training to grow. And that can seem very daunting. Always training for my entire life, like that sounds really hard. And, but when we are training in godliness, we are becoming more like God which is not something we can do on our own. We need, God, we need God's help with this, to be the mover and shaker that we are not. But that can still seem very daunting. This training in godliness is more important than anything else we can do in this life because it brings us closer to God. Our lives as believers are not aimless, hopeless, and full of fear for the future. We look forward to that future with joy, knowing that our Lord and Savior has already come through. So we know we need to spend time with the things of God and on the foundations of our faith. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to spend that time on, though? We spend time on the things that matter, which include the things of God and the foundations of our faith, but include other things as well. Because godliness has value for the future, but also has value for the present. When you spend time on the things that matter, you are being a good servant of Christ. When you prioritize him, deepening your faith, sharing him with others, and enjoying the blessings that you have received from him, you are being a good servant. God has given you many spheres of influence in your life, your job, your family, your friends, your neighbor, and your coffee shop down the street. All of those are within your sphere of influence. Becoming a better servant of Christ doesn't always require God coming down and blinding you like Paul. No, often it is just about slowing down and seeing what is right in front of you. Taking, it's taking the extra time with your kids in the car before they go to school to pray with them for just a minute. It's blessing, it's blessing your neighbor's day by asking them how they're doing. Men, it's setting aside time to take your wives on a date. And, in setting, and instead of spending the hour before bedtime on your phone, it's just opening up the scriptures and just seeing what God has to say. It's the little things that turn into these big things. Jesus could have come right off the bat as a conquering king, but he didn't. He came to be among us to know us, to have a personal relationship with us, to start with a small group of 12 men that has grown to millions and millions and millions. For you guys, I would just say, just get the snowball rolling down the hill. It's the little things that grow into the big things. 
So uh, as we get to verse 10, I'm going to have to pause for just a second and uh, clarify something that we see here in verse 10. So, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So, specifically, we're going to be stopping on that second half of that sentence. It says, who is the Savior of all people? Really quickly, I just want to clear it up. Uh, verse 10 is not, this is not about universalism. Uh, universalism meaning everyone is saved is no matter what. You don't have to believe in Jesus. He died on the cross for everyone, regardless of what happens, everyone is saved. This is not what this is saying here. What it is saying, it, well, before I get to that, it says that, is there, the, a lot of people use this to say that, to say that this is universalism. But other places in scripture make it abundantly clear that salvation is only in Christ for those who trust in him for salvation. Salvation is sufficient for all, but efficient only for those who believe. This second half of this verse is a call to Christ and to be saved. It is not universalism. So now we're going to move on uh, to the rest of the verse. So when you think of training uh, in any sense, you often think of the quote, blood, sweat, and tears. We train because we are pursuing something we haven't done before, aren't good at, or need to do. We often think of training as something hard, something to get through, to struggle through. But I often think of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite uh, authors in his, uh, named Brandon Sanderson in his, uh, in his book, The Way of Kings, A Way of Kings, is life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. We are not put here on this earth to just survive. We are here to honor God. Or as the Westminster Catechism says, on the next slide is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's, that is our job here on earth. There is a joy in training. It's hard, it takes time, but the outcome is great. Not everything you do in faith will be easy. But the fruit is great, and the promises of God are beyond measure. We need to be committed to living our lives to the fullest, to be strong in our conviction to biblical truth, and not try jumping to the end. Our faith is a journey with God. Not perfect, not easy, but so worth it. Because as this quote says, it's, it's life before death, it's journey before destination. Don't jump to the end. We are called to do something here on earth as well. Life is hard, but God's promises are eternal and beyond measure. We live our lives to the fullest when God is at the center of all we do. And Paul is one of the best examples of this. Here's what he has to say in another one of his famous passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is how Paul viewed his life, his training, his relationship with God. The prize at the end, the promises of God to be free from sin, pain, death, and with him forever are incredible. 
And that is why we strive and toil. His promises are greater than we can even know. So what do we do as a people of God? Daily training, daily rhythms, what are you as an individual doing? And if you have a family, what is your family doing? We need to spend time embracing the journey before the destination, not skipping to the end, taking the time to train. We must not fall into the trap of one monster day of training once a week, every month, or once a year, where you burn out. Consistently is key. If you read the Bible for 18 hours one day, odds are you're not going to read it the day after, or may probably even for the rest of that week, because you're going to feel burnt out. Consistency is better. It's doing the small things. As Michael Jordan, a famous basketball player, once said, train so hard that the game days are the easy days. It's just consistency, being consistent. Because it can feel overwhelming when you don't know where to start. How do I, much less if I have a family, begin to train? How do I live up to the verses such as Ephesians 6, 4, that says, which this is not just for parents, this is also for anyone, because we're all called to be disciple makers, and we have spiritual children that we disciple. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or in Proverbs 22, 6, that reads, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We want to lead our families and our spiritual children, but it's hard to know, to know what to do. Michelle and I uh, have found out whether we are expecting our first child. <laughs> and uh, we're anxious about how to do this ourselves. And, uh, you know, and it's daunting. It's very hard to much less train yourself or if you have a family to train your family. We need to embrace that sweetness of work. When we arrive in the presence of God, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But that takes training. We don't skip to that part. Look, there are plenty of articles and books and classes out there that we here at Sonoma Bible Church can send you if you're interested in plans, devotionals, or anything like that. Uh, in fact, if you're a parent or guardian, I'm just going to plug this really quick. We have a monthly parent resources. Uh, so if you're a parent or guardian, just open up your phone and get your camera out and click on the, the link. Um, I send out resources once a month. They're Christ-centered that focus on a wide, wide range of topics, anywhere from bullying to, uh, to technology to family discipleship. Um, so if you'd like to join the email list, please do that. Uh, and the thing is, is, you know, these resources, resources are great. I love sending them out to people. I love reading them. I love doing them. And these things are good, can be very helpful. Uh, but ultimately... Training for godliness is very simple. It takes a little bit of time, a little bit of slowing down, a little bit of getting your rhythm, looking to your left and to your right and seeing who's running with you, and a lot of heavy lifting being done by God. As 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Read the Bible. Go to community group 
and ask your kids about what they think about God and don't be afraid of their answer. Spend time on the foundational things. These verses are not asking Timothy to completely change everything in his life. No, it's a reminder to return to little things, to the foundational things, to his roots. So for you, as you head out into your busy lives, remember that there is the room for God in everything that you do, even the busiest of lives. You don't have to have a seminary degree. Uh, you don't have to quit your job and move to a Montessori. You don't have to fear the twisting of what you believe. You will stay sharp because God is with you and your job is simple. Spend time on the things of God. Spend time on the foundations of your faith. Spend time on the things that matter. And spend time embracing the journey before the destination.